2: I sort of feel like we should start with a rousing chorus of the boys are back in town or something. Uh, it's very good to be back.
0: This is a Manhattan-bound B-Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap.
2: Hello, I'm John Elledge and this is Skylines, the Metric Podcast. It feels a bit weird to be doing a, a post-mortem of, of last week's local elections this many days after... Some I mean, it's, is, it, is it worth it? Was anything interesting enough to even discuss? Was there anything that makes it worth doing this? But I don't, I don't know. To find out, I've invited um, the once and future politics correspondent at the New Statesman, Patrick Maguire, back to, to say hi. Hello, Patrick.
3: Hello. It's very good to be back after my uh, year in the wilderness. Yeah, where have you been? Where the hell have you been? Uh, chained to a desk in Parliament, but now I'm...
2: You can say The Times. You're the allowed times. to say you've been working at The Times. I've been, not... Well,
3: you know, I uh, didn't want to turn off your write-on listener base, John. Other, other publications are available.
2: But you came, you came back. You're working here again. That's nice.
3: I'm very happy yeah. to be back. I mean... Just to revisit your point about why is this worth doing, I mean, I personally have only just woken up from a coma after uh, Southport elected two Labour councillors for the first time in its history. That is, uh, you know, earth-shattering stuff, and I look forward to devoting the entire
2: podcast to that. I actually, to my shame, I actually missed that one, despite having yesterday edited a piece on the... Uh, election results across the liverpool city region really by our liverpool city region correspondent dave Mayo, a great man who did who did start out life as a as a kind of crazy man who sends emails about underbounding in liverpool who i accidentally turned into a monthly columnist without quite meaning to but yeah so despite having literally edited a piece on this i somehow hadn't noticed that that Labour did creep forward in Southport. That's it amazing. did,
3: and it's very interesting. It reflects uh, their progress they made at the general election last year. I mean, for listeners who aren't familiar with Southport, one, what the hell are you doing? And two, it uh, has, for you know time immemorial, been a Tory Lib Dem marginal. Lib Dems held it for 20 years, uh, and then the blessed John Pugh stood down. Labour came in second, and uh, now the Lib Dems are stripped of their you know Labour can't win here trump card. Uh, Labour are making huge advances. I mean, two councils is huge by Southport standards. And this is sort of emblematic of the problems faced by the Lib Dems across the country, I think.
2: Yeah, something else I do remember from, from Dave's piece, that's something I'd not really appreciated, was like quite how powerful the Lib Dems were. In, in, well, in Liverpool City Council, yeah, at yeah. Least. they controlled it in, for twelve years in the last decade. Like during, basically during the sort of New Labour hegemony, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Liverpool, which is the most Labour city on earth, which run by the Lib Dems,
3: which is yeah, like it's, it's crazy to think about now. And now they are sort of they well they did quite well. They won uh, a couple of seats in South Liverpool. Uh, in Childwall, where which has a big Jewish population, but that was their sort of heartland before uh, their collapse, sort of around the coalition. But you know, they've made a few gains; they're very happy about it. But as is the case in Manchester, they're nowhere near sort of reverting to the pre-coalition norm, and that's what that's why I think you know there's two fronts on which the whole you know, Lib Dems have had a great night thing have to, has to be tempered. The first is in seats like Southport, Solihull, that they held for decades. Uh, they've fallen back into, into third place. That's not strictly true with the local election results in Southport, but, but Labour winning is uh, emblematic of that. And the second is that, you know, in the great cities, which were used to be their sort of second heartland if you can even call it that, they are sort of still languishing behind. Even if they're making very small
2: advances, they're not that significant. There is a danger we just spend the whole podcast talking about the Lib Dems. And, you know, actually, I think there probably is... Uh, the Lib Dems, I do suspect, are, are overly represented in the, in the audience for Skylines, I must say. But before we move on, I do want to say one thing. Um, they were losing Liverpool by 2010. It predates the coalition, What's going on there? Why is it that, like, just as Labour were losing ground basically everywhere else, they were sort of consolidating their position in Liverpool?
3: Oh, Labour? Yeah. I think it has a lot to do with, and, you know, I'm sure Dave Mail uh, knows a lot more about this than I do, but, and I was very young uh, at the time this happened, but my understanding is it has, uh, you know, it's a mixture of Labour rebuilding after their sort of nadir they reached in sort of the late 90s in Liverpool, and also the. Lib Dem council administration wasn't the most functional. So, yeah.
2: was, was, was it just literally one of those things where it's not about national politics for once? It is genuinely about local issues that that the Lib Dems had just done a, a. They've been in office a long time. And people yeah, to I, out, would, I yeah. would, I would,
3: I would, I uh, would say you are probably right. Although, you know, I'm sure correspondents will correct me if I'm not. But as I understand it, and as I remember, and I wouldn't say twelve year old me was an authority on no. No, 15, 15-year-old 15 me. Young. I know 15, you're
2: infuriatingly young, but you're not that quite.
3: 15-year-old yeah. me uh, didn't know a lot, that much about politics. No-one near as much as I thought. But, yeah, I think you're right. As it's sort of a sort of Sunderlandy kind of situation, although not Sunderland obviously isn't as pronounced where the Lib Dems made gains at the expense of a Labour administration that has been there for a very long time.
2: But, like, logically, I mean, I want to talk about other cities in a moment, but logically speaking, this has to be a part of the path back for the Lib Dems right because like Labour do very much dominate the great cities now one-party states are not only not very healthy they also don't tend to stay one-party states the Tories are never going to win a lot of these places the Lib Dems are a much better cultural fit it might take a while but that's got to be where they start creeping back yeah
3: that's true and also you see the sort of localised pockets of sort of Lib Dem gains the sort of post-Brexit realignment, if such a thing exists, has encouraged us to think, wow, that's crazy, you know, Lib Dem's winning in Sunderland, what the hell is going on? Well, actually what we're seeing is them shifting back to uh, being that sort of natural repository for protest, you know, they're just a benign bin in which you can chuckle your grievances and there will be a competent sort of opposition force uh, on local councils. I think that's the case in Liverpool, although uh, Liverpool Labour activists would, would beg to differ that they are anything but that the, the local Lib Dems are benign. Uh, and also, you know, the, the the councils they, you know, kept control of are sort of, you could say, that's their, the consolidation of their, you know, Old heartland. you know, place like Three Rivers, Eastleigh, you know, the, the councils in South West London, they all have that sort of slightly suburban you know, well-heeled flavour that sort of, that is what we can, what the Lib Dems are, is a sort of opposition party in most of the country. That will sort of give them a foothold to, you know, start clawing back. Uh, and they only, can only govern or command majorities
2: in a certain sort of place. Let's, let's move on from the Lib Dems. I want to hold off talking about London uh, as long as we can. What other things do you think were interesting about this round of elections and particularly in the other cities? Birmingham,
3: well, I mean not Birmingham city but the West Midlands very interesting. Uh a good sort of illustration of what happens to the UKIP vote, what is happening to, you know, Labour sort of labour heartlands, you know Dudley, Walsall, Tories made significant advances there.
2: Of the major conurbations the West Midlands is certainly the sort of the bluest. Most, yeah. And I, I, I've been trying to sort of work out what that might be. I think maybe it's. I wonder if it's almost about the form of the place. It is very suburban. It's very car based. Actually, the sort of bit of 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 the region that kind of feels like city rather than suburbs is is quite small.
3: Yeah, exactly. And also, that, I mean, that's I mean that's why Andy, probably why Andy Street will, you know, I mean, we're very early in the cycle, but I'd say he stands a good chance of holding that mayoralty based on the results we've just seen. And also, you know, you look at places like... Does Nuneaton... Nuneaton's in Warwickshire, right? It falls in...
2: Nune- his- Nuneaton is, is Warwickshire. It's uh, It might be a non-constituent part. It's not one of the bits that gets to vote for him. Oh, sure. It's kind fine. of in the commuter belt. The the bits that actually vote for, for the mayor of the West Midlands is still just the old metropolitan county, which is the three cities of Birmingham, Wolverhampton, Coventry, plus uh, the three boroughs of the Black Country and Solihull. So... That's that's just me nerding out about. I could I, I I can do this with with most of the city regions now. It's really, I'm great at parties. Is what I'm saying here. Anyway, let's move on from. But yes, no, I would tend to agree that like Andy Street is probably going to win re-election. He's got an incumbency advantage. He seems reasonably popular up there. The whole region is trending quite blue. And also, as I understand it, like my my, my secret sources in, in the, the West Midlands Labour Party are already panicking that Sean Simon's people think he should get another go and it's kind of they, they, they think that's a terrible idea but it's not clear who they who they have instead. Well well, exactly
3: especially not someone who can match the sort of non-partisan semi-technocratic appeal of Andy Street right you can either have as was the case you know you have the John Lewis guy who's been doing a really good job and isn't really the sort of you know isn't one of their bad Tories or you have a generic Labour Birmingham MP who uh, people won't necessarily be particularly inspired by, as was probably the case with Sean
2: Simon. You know who I quite genuinely um, think they should be thinking about running? Is it one of the brothers from UB40? No, although, I don't know, maybe that is a good uh, one. Well, Noddy Holder, that would be good. But um, no, I was actually going to say, um, I think Jess Phillips might be worth a go.
3: Yes. And like I so, said, you know, it would suit her. I'm sure it would, you know they'd it, be glad to get her out of the PLP.
2: It seems to be a good fit with kind of her... her... Oh, if you've just heard that, that's a mailbag falling over in the corner of the podcasting basement slash
3: mailroom. It's the um, bag of letters in which Stephen says the
2: DLR is a tube. Shut up. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think Jess Jess Phillips, um, her kind of like full throat personality um, would be a good fit with a tea, where so much of it is about banging the drum mm-hmm. and talking stuff up. And I also think like she she's not kind of a sort of traditional west midlands machine politician she's kind of you know just she's a girl from yardley isn't she so well exactly remember.
3: and also she has sort of conspicuously distanced herself from the leadership on the issues that you know somewhat you know people like her would say are an issue on the doorstep and that might get the sort of voters who voted tory in the west midlands uh councils this time you know back on board with her, the sort of, you know, I don't usually vote Labour, but, you know, she's all right, the sort of red the street sort of effect. Yeah,
2: yeah. But well, if anyone from the West Midlands Labour Party is listening, then um, you can have that one for free. We had a metro Mayoral election in in Sheffield, bit of a shocker. But Dan Jarvis won that one for the for the Labour Party.
3: Any I, well, I mean on Sheffield, and I know you don't want to talk about Lib Dems anymore, but just briefly, that's one, that was arguably the only great city in which they made advances that we might see have a national effect in them winning all the seats in Sheffield Hallam.
2: Oh, I hadn't actually realised that one. That's yeah, interesting. all the wards in Sheffield Hallam, Nick Clegg's old seats, Yeah, it's uh, now held by Jared O'Mara, who. Hasn't been to Parliament recently, as I understand no, it. No, probably... he's, he's back now. To oh, he's back? To he had a lengthy
3: absence and obviously he's suspended from the whip uh, for but, making offensive comments. But
2: he is one of those people you can just see, like, yeah, this wasn't a very long selection process, was it? Or this was done in a bit of a hurry.
3: Yeah, and I think there was a lot of discontent locally about the sort of, you know, the investigation dragging on. Um, and that has manifested itself at the ballot box this time round. Mm. Uh, if if, you know, that's... And also, obviously, in Sheffield, you have the whole thing with the with the trees. That was one of the places the Greens made their, one of the pockets in which the Greens advanced that night.
2: The- we got um we we talked about the trees on in Sheffield on this podcast briefly the other day, and then we did an episode on street furniture and India, and came down to talk about trees, and she kind of told me some of the stuff that was going on in Sheffield. And I swear to God, I have never had such an angry email about this podcast. Normally, really? when yeah, normally when people get in contact about the podcast. They're lovely in a way that people who just read something you've written are not necessarily. Because if they've heard your voice, they kind of think you as a human being. They hear
3: your just... frailties.
2: Yeah, yeah. So normally, I love all my podcast listeners, but this was such an angry email. And I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what it was he was angry about. Um, so may, maybe we'll get back in touch.
3: I mean, have you seen what they're doing to the trees? There's a lot to be angry about.
2: They're, I mean, they're just ripping out a lot of trees, right? it's great. Yeah, which is, not, which is not a great look.
3: Oh, so this guy was pro-felling trees?
2: No, no, I think he was anti, but it was—I mean, it wasn't entirely clear. It's just one of those where you kind of thought Incoherent,
3: like, righteous anger.
2: Yeah, it's like I'm—I'm I'm sure you're genuinely angry about a genuine mistake we made or something, but I think you probably should have thought for a little bit mm. before hitting send on this email, um, just to kind of clarify your your argument a little bit because I'm—I'm genuinely not sure if you're still listening if you haven't unsubscribed and discussed do get back in touch because we do like to correct our mistakes so i'd love to know what the problem was but uh, but yeah the metro mayoralty was really very dull wasn't it like stu- although actually sorry, before he didn't win on the first round which that did surprise me a little bit like i think if i recall correctly um andy burnham certainly won in manchester oh yeah in he won at
3: uh, canter in basically yeah. almost every ward andy burnham won
2: steve Rotherham won the liverpool city region in the first round yeah Dan Jarvis for Labour in Sheffield did not win on the first round. He got like 48% or something, and so the nature of the electoral system means they had to count the second preferences. So it was, it was not that good a victory, considering how strongly Labour a city and Sheffield it, is. Yeah,
3: exactly, and it raises interesting questions about his desire to, uh, in the long run, lobby for the, for the one Yorkshire Deal, right? Because Yorkshire is huge and is you know not necessarily a, a labour county. Obviously, no, you have yeah. the the great cut cities in the you know the West Midlands as West Midlands, West Yorkshire, South Yorkshire. Whole very laboury, but sort of you know you only need to see, it's like Pudsey, Holton Price, and Howden. You know I could literally name dozens of them, but I. You know, if you can't win the first round in what's notionally uh, in the Socialist Republic of South Yorkshire, is it really wise to you know press on beyond there? Even even within South York, I mean, Barnsley, as it happens, is the you know, his own seat is the council that's obstructing the South Yorkshire uh, mer- Metro Merit. But sort of yeah, beyond that, what what happened? What happens if there is a one Yorkshire deal and you know Labour Labour mess it up?
2: My my instinct is that the if there was a sort of one Yorkshire deal it would be a sort of genuine marginal mm. because while Labour do dominate the the urban bits of what used to be the West Riding, mm. other than like that and Hull and York, they don't dominate the rest of it. Now that's But that's probably about... That's more than half the population. So I think it probably could genuinely go either way. And if Dan Jarvis is kind of like riding on a white horse as the guy who conjured this deal into being, who was already the mayor of part of Yorkshire... He will be a name to a certain mm. extent. I can kind of—he would certainly be the front runner. Uh, yeah. But it's—I mean—there's a lot to do before that post even exists. Yeah, exactly. It's not clear that anyone's going to. He does—he does, go he does have
3: retired colonel appeal. Dan Jarvis, I'm sure, as a result of his biography.
2: I always feel with Jarvis like he—he he doesn't quite live up to his own biography. <laughs> like he—like he—he—his biography is kind of like amazing. It's like exactly what you would want from sort of you know, some a potential future leader of the Labour Party, as mm. he was in the past tipped to be. He's like, you know, an ex-military guy came back to, to serve as Labour MP near the community he grew up in. Um, he he lost his wife, very sadly, and was raising kids on his own for a while. It's a, it's a really sort of good political story to tell. But personally, he's never been that... Imp- on
3: it's interesting. I think it speaks to a sort of deeper malaise, you know, with Miliband period labour, which was that sort of it got so desperate within the PLP, uh, you know, the search for a white knight or a saviour. It was always almost became a case of, right, what would make a good three paragraphs in a story about plotting to replace Miliband? Yeah, you know, and it was always well, Alan Johnson, former postie, you know, straight talking geezer is very, you know, makes it a very attractive three paragraphs. Like you say, Dan Jarvis's backstory makes a very attractive three paragraphs. And it almost, it's a shame because Dan Jarvis only came into into Parliament in 2012 and he was built up so quickly that, you know, it's, there's a case to make that he didn't have the chance to build up his reputation nationally. He was almost presented as a fully formed, savoured Labour Party. And of course, if you've only been in Parliament for three years, you're not going to, you know,. You know, people said the same about Keir Starmer, right? But, you know, if you've been in Parliament for three years, you know, you are not automatically going to be leadership material, even if you're the most talented and compelling politician in the in the PLP, right?
2: You know who did become party leader just, I think, four years after, after first being elected as an MP it was David Cameron, and look how that turned mm. out. That I mean- was a complete disaster, so... There you go, substance of a style Yeah, it's, 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 this is clearly the, the risk to avoid Okay, okay. Well, I, I feel we're getting closer to the point where we have to talk about London But like, well, is there anything else out there in the wider country that you think is worth uh, talking
3: about? Plymouth,
2: Plymouth's quite interesting Oh, Plymouth, Plymouth Labour didn't take
3: Plymouth Labour took Plymouth, didn't they?
2: Oh, they did. Oh they yeah, did. no, I got I got confused. I thought because um, like there was meant to be a victory speech in in Plymouth, wasn't there? Oh, hang on, maybe the victory speech was meant to be in
3: in Barnet. Yeah.
2: Okay, never mind. Ignore me. Tell me about Plymouth.
3: Labour won it. They ran. Obviously, they won Plymouth, Devon, Devonport. Devonport. Yeah. 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 I'm just. I'm trying to think of, of what Johnny Mercer's seat is when they they ran Jenny, Johnny Mercer very close and won Plymouth Denport uh in the general election. So they're building on ground there. Obviously it was the one place momentum didn't do their own seat thing in as planned.
2: Plymouth is kind of in the same box as like an Exeter or a Canterbury, yes. I think, where right? it's like one of those places that could plausibly be sort of a red sea uh, yeah. a a red island in a blue sea because it's quite Although it's a small city, it is still a city rather than a A city,
3: town. obviously, it has a sort of defence manufacturing base. Defence cuts are a big issue there. That's what Johnny Mercer, in the aftermath, he said, you know, this is a savage indictment. Well, paraphrasing, but he said, you know, it's a savage indictment of our stance on defence cuts, uh, which is weird. You wouldn't expect sort of this Labour Party uh, to benefit, be the beneficiaries of a you know a ding dong over defence. You, know, you know, the conventional wisdom was, you know, you fight Corbyn's Labour and. A Tory party on issues of national security and defence, Tories will romp home. But you see, when defence is tied to questions of mass employment in communities mm. like Plymouth, then actually it could go the other way.
2: Yeah, and the and the party's kind of done that with with some of the sort of law and order issues mm. as well, which is like surprisingly Bobby's like, on the beat, which, yeah, yeah, which again is not something you would expect Jeremy Corbyn to 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 take that position on. But it does seem to.
3: But it is, you know, it is just an extension of the economic programme, right? More money for the public sector, and you know. Yeah. If the corollary of that is more money for police or, you know, uh, defence spending all the better.
2: Okay, okay inevitably, London how well do you think it went?
3: I don't think it was a disaster, or I don't necessarily think it was a failure I mean, Labour made huge advances well, relatively huge advances in, you know, Wandsworth Westminster, they, you know, maybe not huge in terms of, you know, taking control or mm. winning loads of seats, but if we look at this long-term, we are, what, one year into a five-year electoral cycle. The demographic shifts, et cetera, that have caused, that have made, you know, that have opened these questions for the first time in, you know, ever, are only going to become more pronounced over the next four years. So if you're looking at Labour's long game, you know, you're looking at taking, if you want to, you know, be measured and proportionate about this, they had, I think, largely a good night. Obviously, Barnett, incredibly disappointing. Mm-hmm. That was an open goal. Um But I think there's a lot to take heart from.
2: So I think there are... I have two points about this. One is there was no expectation management. Mm. Like Momentum were going around saying how, you know, we can win Westminster, we can win Wandsworth. Wandsworth has not been Labour since 1978. Westminster has literally always had a Tory majority. These were always very, very big asks, even with the Tories' difficulties in, in London and other urban areas... And obviously, like, Momentum as a campaign group, part of their role is to get people excited. So it's not surprising they were going around doing that. It is a bit weird that no one from the party proper was saying, trying to dampen this down and set expectations a bit lower. The other thing I would say is I do think it wasn't just Barnett's where the result was a bit disappointing. like... Barnet was obviously the big prize they should have won and didn't. It's London's biggest borough by population. It's another one that's never been Labour, but has certainly been trending that way due to demographic change. Uh, it, and Labour was only two, two seats short. It really should have been winnable, yeah. and they messed it up due to the anti-Semitism row. Barnett's a very Jewish area. But I also think there's a certain amount of suburban discomfort going on, because it feels to me like Labour should also have done better in, in Hillingdon.
3: Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, if, I, if I were a Tory MP for a seat in to London... If I were Boris Johnson, if I were Theresa Villas, who was looking very chipper. Appropriately given that she then be for Chipping Barnet, but anyway, chipper the morning after the election. If I were Ian Duncan Smith, I'd feel great because, like you say, we've had a year of Labour talking up the prospect of them winning these seats, and you know, if that if that is a suburban backlash to you know the prospect, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised.
2: I think it depends on which suburbs you're you're looking at. I mean, I think like there are some outer London boroughs that feel quite London. Mm. Like like much of Croydon feels feels very Londonish, but Bromley just across the border, really not so much. Very Kent-y. Bexley is very Kentish. Havering is very Essex. Hillingdon is well, it was Middlesex, which has all got swallowed by London. But still, what what those boroughs I just listed have in common is that they all voted leave, uh, as did Sutton, which confusingly keeps electing Lib Dems with so clearly no idea what that's about. But but yeah, I think the kind of those leave voting outer boroughs are always going to be a much harder harder ask for, for Labour.
3: And this is where, you know, you tie this back into the big picture. You know, Labour's new electoral map is that you... The calculation is that if you win enough seats in London and the great cities and university towns, you don't necessarily have to win all of the old conventional Mondeo Man uh, laboratory marginals. But if they, as you say, if they can't consolidate their control across London, then, you know, maybe the the sort of myopia of that, approach might, that, that uh, approach might be revealed to be myopic. But, you know, as I said, you know, we're a year into an electoral cycle. Let's see how many people move to Barnet and Hillingdon from the inner boroughs in, yeah. in that time.
2: I kind of think that, like, the message is, is one of we're all stuffed. Yeah. Uh, because if, I mean, like, okay, the projected national vote share was literally like a tie which I mean arguably that's that's worse for labour because you would expect an opposition to to do better mm. in midterms but nonetheless that does kind of point to a bit of a stalemate uh, but also like it's really not clear that there's enough winnable seats for either of the big two parties to get to a majority right now um, which is which is, I mean, it will be make, make it quite interesting as a period to write about politics, but in terms of like you know actually having actually, decent good, government, good
3: stable government, and that's yeah. the, that's the, the, the there the Lib Dem thing comes back into it, right? Because it have could the be Lib King Dems, yeah, yeah, not being emaciated by coalition, and ha- were their recovery not so sluggish? Although I struggle to see how it could be anything but as sluggish as it is. I mean, maybe if their uh, their campaign uh, in the in the election hadn't been quite as quite as flat-footed then they might have won a you know a few more seats but without a you know healthy Lib Dem block in the Commons on the basis of the locals there isn't really going to be one big enough to hold the balance of power and with the SNP taking their place and their defining issue being a constitutional one it's very difficult to see how you know you could say you know hung parliament's forever great we'll have a you know a you know, government driven by compromise and the Lindemps will be the kingmakers and it'll all be moderate and brilliant I'm sure a lot of your listeners would, would, would think but you know given that they've been replaced by the SNP you know there is really no it's not like they've been replaced by any other you know the it's a party. party
2: with a very specific agenda that involves breaking yeah, up the
3: United Kingdom, ex- exactly, basically. exactly. Yeah. Which makes, which, you know... if, if
2: Again, not stable government.
3: If, and also, if Brexit wasn't happening, you could just about see how maybe we staggered on with minority governments and coalitions. But, you know, with the SNP and the Brexit dimension, you know, it's just a constitutional car crash, isn't it?
2: Yeah, well, I imagine we'll be coming back to that in future episodes. Uh, my last question is... Um, You know you promised me that interview with Joe Anderson in May 2017. How's that coming along? Ah.
3: See you next week.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row?